So this morning we are continuing our sermon series, considering vision and values. I think this is an important sermon series. I mean, that's what the pastor always says in church, right? I think this is an important sermon series. And you go, okay. (laughs) But I think this is an important sermon series because we've not done this in a long time. I think we need to know what we're about. I think we need to build some consensus. I hope that you agree with these things. In fact, I've worked really hard to make sure that our vision and values series, none of these things should be a surprise to you. If we get to one and you think, I didn't know he thought that, (laughs) we've got a problem. We've got a problem. I've got a problem. (laughs) None of these things, none of these words, none of these messages should be a surprise to you. In fact, I think they should be an encouragement to you. This should be a reflection of the church that you feel that you belong to. And if you're wondering, well, where do I belong? If you're looking for a church family, this is the sermon series that you need to hear to decide. Let me also say it's eight weeks long. So if you've missed some, you can catch up. They're all online. Our sermons go out as podcasts now. Isn't that mad? I never thought we'd get to that point as a church. I feel slightly daunted by that. That means you can listen back to things that I said that were stupid for years and years to come. And I'm going to try not to make too many jokes because that's when I get myself in trouble. But this morning, I think this is a really important sermon series. Each week we've got a different word. I know what next week's word is. I don't know if you remember what last week's word was. Does anyone want to try and remind us of what last week's word was? Mission, I heard someone say it, thank you. And this week's word, this week's word is the word encouragement. Next week's word is generous. And it's not the message you think it's going to be because generous is more than finances. And I think sometimes churches struggle to talk about the value of being generous because everybody thinks, oh, we know where this is going. (laughs) But do tune in next week. I think you're going to want to hear what we have to say about generosity because I think that's a kingdom value. God is generous to us. Jesus is generous to us when he extends grace to us. And I think generous and generosity as a theme is woven all through the Bible. But this week I'm talking to you about encouragement. Encouragement. You know, I've talked to people and they have been surprised to hear that the church thinks that it's encouraging. I've met people who are surprised that the church thinks that it's encouraging. Isn't that a sad state of affairs? There are people who are surprised that we think this place is an encouraging place to be. If you've been around the church for a few years, I don't just mean our church, I mean the global church, there are people who struggle with church. Those people are called Christians. (laughs) And you know, it's okay to struggle with church. We struggle with all sorts of things in life, but church is your family's home. This is where the family of God meets. This is a place of encouragement. It needs to be a place of encouragement. It needs to be a place of safety. Just like you go home, if you go home and you hate your house, you move, right? If you go home and you can't stand the color of the walls, you paint. 
we are constantly upgrading this building, both physically and spiritually. That's what we're doing when we come to church. We're remodeling the house of God. And we start with our hearts. We start with our hearts. We talked about mission last week, and we've had some fantastic mission weeks over the years. And we mix the practical with the spiritual. We invite people in, and we paint. I got in terrible trouble a few years ago when I said that, um, you know the saying, you can't polish a turd? Well, it turns out you can paint it as well. Somebody was very cross with me for that joke because we'd just finished painting the building and they thought I was being rude about the building, and I was. <laughs> and I apologized, and I'm bringing it up now, <laughs> risking getting myself in trouble again. <laughs> but to say, you know, the church is more than the building. This is our family home. This is the place we come to worship God. It's not special. It's not magic. You don't walk in and suddenly you become a Christian. That takes time and effort and you need encouragement in that transformation process, that restoration process that God is working on the inside of you and is working in us all together and when we come together, you know, sometimes people are surprised that there are mean, nasty Christians. I've been a pastor for a little while. I'm not surprised that there are mean, nasty Christians. There are mean, nasty everybody. Sometimes people say crazy things like, you know, if you just go about your life, you live your life, people are going to come to the Lord because they'll see the way you're living and they'll be, they'll be encountering the gospel at work in you. And that will bring them to Christ. And I think, yes, it will, so long as you also tell them about the hope that you have in Jesus. There's a, a fantastic misquote that goes, preach Jesus in everything you do, and if need be, use words. And it's a terrible misquote because you always need to use your words. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is one of my favorite stories. This guy's traveling along, and he comes across Philip, and he's reading the Bible, but he doesn't understand it. We all need somebody to encourage our understanding. But that's not my sermon text this morning, so let me encourage you to open your Bibles. Who has a Bible? This is me encouraging you to have your Bible with you. If you're thinking, ah, but you're going to read me the passage anyway, I'm not. Controversial, I know. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the story but we're going to do it about 100 miles an hour because I don't have time to read the whole story to you and tell you all of the context and give you my whole scripture reading because it's, um, well, it's 22 verses, no, 25 verses long. I said I wasn't going to read it all. You're going to have to read that on your own time. In fact, I encourage you to read the Bible on your own time. I encourage you to read your Bible at home and on the train, probably not in the car, but there are audio Bibles for that now. <laughs> You know, wherever you are, you can take a Bible with you and you can read that and that will bless you. But my passage this morning is Philemon, Philemon 1. If you find Philemon 2, you need to buy a better Bible. There is only one chapter to the book of Philemon. Philemon 1, 1 is where we're starting. And what I want you to do is I just want you to put a little marker in your Bible. If you've got something there, just put the little ribbon in. That old train ticket from your coat pocket, that'll do. 
If you've got a digital Bible, I'm a, gosh, I am the keenest person on a digital Bible you will ever meet. You know, I go everywhere with my Bible. That sounds so holy, doesn't it? I carry 50 Bibles with me wherever I go. Don't I sound like the best pastor ever? I just like my iPad. (laughs) But Philemon 1, if you've got a digital Bible, you can copy, you can highlight, you can write notes still. So I said I don't have time to read you this whole passage, and that's because I want to tell you the whole story. So buckle up, and here we go. If you're struggling to find Philemon, let me just say it's a teeny tiny little book, and here's another encouragement to you. Have you ever read a whole book of the Bible? Because if you haven't, this is the one to pick. It's 25 verses long, and then you can tell everybody, I've read a whole book of the Bible, and it'll be true. So Philemon 1. Philemon 1. Philemon is a letter. There was this bloke, he liked writing letters. He's quite well known for the letters he wrote. He's called Paul. If you're very new to church and you've not read any of Paul's letters, you're in for a treat. If you've read lots of Paul's letters, you probably haven't read this one. And can I just share one secret with you? And you're going to think, you went from telling us you had 50 Bibles and were very holy to now telling us that the shortest book of the Bible is your favorite book of the Bible, not quite so holy. But this is my favorite book of the Bible. In fact, I could preach on this book of the Bible for the rest of the year and I would have something to say every week. And here's one more encouragement for you. I promise that I won't. So Philemon 1 is this fantastic story. And I'm going to tell you the background story. This is the... uh, the JSV version, Joel's special version, because we're going to do all sorts of things to the text now. So don't hate me online. But uh, if you are tuning in online, if you're there from Blossom's Care Home, give us a little like, let us know you're watching along. If you're watching from your home, comment so that we know you're there, join in. We might even comment and like back, who knows. But Philemon 1. So Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter to his mate Philemon. Good start. You're with me still? Paul is writing a letter to his mate Philemon. And Paul starts most of his letters with these fantastic encouragements. They are just rocket fuel to the church. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. I told you they were friends This is a special friendship. Paul is just pouring out encouragement on his friend. He's got some really tough stuff to say in a moment, but he's starting out just blessing and encouraging his friend. I don't know about you. Church, have you got any friends? We are way too quiet this morning. This is disconcerting. Do you have any friends? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you don't have any friends, see me afterwards. We need to pray for you. We're going to fix that. I'll be your friend, and then you'll have one. You need some friends. Life is best in community. Church is a community. Church is the brothers and sisters in Christ becoming friends with one another as we become friends with Jesus, and as we share in that friendship together, we're encouraged by Jesus. We're encouraged by one another. Fellowship is just a fancy church word for that special spirit encouragement, that heart encouragement that comes when I encourage you and you encourage me back. That's what fellowship is, and that's what we're reading in this letter here, a little bit of encouragement right at the start of this letter. 
Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, not actually his brother, just loves him that much, calling him a brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Then we've got some more people, because Paul can't just say that he loves one person and say hi to one friend. He's got to say hi to all of his friends in every letter. I once went to a previous church where I was a pastor and you know, this old lady in the church taught me a thing about these lists of names. And I think it's a wonderful encouragement because I used to do this terrible thing where I would see the list of names and I'd be like, I'm going to skip that. That's a long list of names. And then I'd think, well, let me get to the meat of this passage and I would just skip right past. Can I just encourage you? There's a list of names there, a list of friends there, because you need to live in community. The last two years have been really hard because we haven't lived in community. While they just encouraged us, you need to live in community. You need more community than you have right now. You need your church family around you. You need to not give up meeting together. You need one another. We need you. You need us. We are the family of faith. And so it goes on. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ. He's encouraging him again and again. And you see, he's encouraging him. But there's a bigger story here. You see, here's the story. The story goes that Philemon had a slave. This is where all of the liberal Christians get a bit antsy. All of the evangelical Christians get a bit twitchy. All of the Christians should start looking a little bit concerned, he had a slave. You see, the problem here is that Onesimus, his slave, has run away. And in the culture, the time and age that they're in, lots of the world was in slavery. And Jesus did some really radical things. One of the things that he did was, that was most radical was that don't treat your slaves badly, treat them really well. Jesus was already turning the tide on something that we can all see is terrible from our modern perspective. But back in the day, when that was normal, when more of the world were slaves than free people, already the church is speaking to a big issue. But you see, this guy's slave has run off. He's not just run off. This guy's name is Onesimus, which is ironic because it means useful, but he's useless. He's the world's worst slave because he's not just run off. I mean, that's already a pretty bad slave. In fact, Paul calls himself a prisoner for Christ. Sometimes he calls himself a slave for Christ because he's saying, I serve a master and I'm going to serve him with all that I've got and all that I am. But Onesimus is a bad servant. He's stolen and he's run away. We might have some sympathy for that today. We might think, if you're in slavery, running away is a good thing to do. In the culture here, that carried a death penalty. And so then something really remarkable happens. As Onesimus runs away, he encounters Paul and he comes to faith. And it's going to change his entire life. Because he stops being a slave, then he stops being a thief, and he becomes a brother in Christ. First to Paul, and then to Philemon. And you see, as he becomes a brother in Christ, 
Paul writes this letter and he says a couple of things. First he says, let me encourage you. He says, I could command you to do the right thing, but I don't want to steal the opportunity for you to do the right thing by your own free choice. I know your heart, Philemon. I know you. I know you. You're going to do the right thing. And so I want to give you that opportunity. And so Paul's writing this letter, and this letter is going back with Anisimus to Philemon. Philemon, who should be absolutely furious. Paul goes one step further to encourage Anisimus and says, you know, whatever this guy has done wrong, whatever he's done wrong, add it to my account. And you know, Jesus does the exact same thing for you and me. Every time we do something wrong, Jesus intercedes to the Father and he says, add it to my account. Let me take that burden for you. Let me carry the weight of the things that you've done wrong on Calvary's cross. And I'll pay your debt. And so, Philemon's being encouraged in obedience. You see, obedience is one of those words that doesn't sound quite as fun as encouragement. You go to some churches and you think, this is really great, I'm feeling really encouraged. You go to some other churches, you think, I'm not feeling so encouraged. I think you should always come away from church feeling encouraged. But sometimes we need to talk about some real things. Obedience in the life of a disciple is one of those real things. You see, being a disciple, disciple and discipline have the same root word. Personal discipline leading your life in a way that you are disciplined in following another, doing it the way you've been taught to do it by them. If that person is Jesus, that is just going to be the biggest blessing in your life. But you aren't doing it just because it's going to be the biggest blessing. You're doing it because you're responding in relationship to your Savior. And sometimes churches get so carried away, we're trying to encourage you, we want to encourage you to, to live your life for Christ. We begin to pull our punches and we don't tell you everything that the Word of God says. And if we do that, we start thinking maybe we'll just love you better than God does. And I think the love of God and the righteousness of God go hand in hand. It has to. Because without the righteousness of God, you don't understand the love of God. And without the love of God, God seems mean and scary. But because of Jesus, we can have a really special relationship with God. And so this story goes on. You know, Anisimus finds Paul at one of Paul's low points. Paul has some really tough moments. I love that the Bible doesn't just give you a rosy picture on life. It tells you about these tough moments. In fact, as this passage is ending, Paul says to Philemon, if you count me as a partner, receive him, in, him as you would me. He goes on and he says, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. But prepare a guest room for me, because I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Paul's hoping that he's going to get to see them. Paul, who gets shipwrecked. Paul, who ends up in prison time and again. Paul's not a bad guy. Paul is just carrying the message of Jesus. And anyone who tells you that the message of Jesus 
is just going to make all of your life happy and easy doesn't seem from where their Bible I would suggest. Because what we're promised is hope and joy and peace and the prosperity of God in our lives. But that looks different from our perspective. The prosperity of God's work in our lives is always the biggest blessing, the most amazing adventure that we could ever live. And you see, in this story, Anisimus is being asked to go on the biggest adventure he's had to date. He's going on the biggest faith adventure of his life so far. It's one of those testing moments. And I don't know about you, church, but I've had some of these testing moments where you've got to do something and you're not sure that you're big enough or strong enough to do it. And sometimes really well-intentioned, sweet Christians say some of these amazing things to you that just are bad theology. They say things like God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers, or he says, you know, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. And can I just say that? That one is straight up heresy. The Lord will definitely give you more than you can handle. If anyone in the room can say, the Lord has never given me more than I can handle, I mean, bless you, it's coming. (laughs) What God does is he promises you that with him, you can handle it. He promises you that he will be your rock and your shield, your fortress, the stronghold in your life, the wing covering you, giving you peace and rest. In the shadow of his wings, that's where we hide ourselves. That's where we find grace. That's where we take up our cross daily, knowing that Jesus has already carried the cross, has borne every weight, every step of the way up Calvary's hill and hung there dying for the things that we've done wrong. You know, the Bible isn't some lovely fairy tale story. It's not a collection of sweet stories that help you to live a good life. It's pain and joy. It's grit and glory. It's mess and ministry. And you see, in this story, Anisimus is going to have to go back to the place that he has run away from. He's just spent plenty of time, a whole chapter of his life, running away from his problems. And now he's being told that you're going to go back and you're going to go back with Jesus alongside you. And can you imagine for a moment Going back to somebody that you have stolen from, that you have just done such a terrible thing to, who is so angry at you, who should want to kill you and is entitled societally to kill you. I don't know if you've ever had someone so angry with you that they want to kill you. I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. So he is going back to someone who has every right to see him killed. And he is going back to this place because he has received Jesus. He's been encouraged that this is what he needs to do. And so this is what he's going to do. Because he's living by a different standard. But imagine that faith. Imagine that hope. That complete life transformation. I'm sure that didn't make it easy. I don't think he skipped all the way there singing my Jesus, my Savior, or Kumbaya. 
I don't think he went there with a heart full of joy. I think he probably went there holding pretty tightly to this letter. Literally a white knuckle ride that entire way. By the time he got there, I imagine that this, this letter is just slightly crumpled. <laughs> and as he hands it over, hands trembling. Hoping that the guy reads it before he just kind of, you know, sends someone with a big sword. <laughs> But Paul knows Philemon's heart. Anisimus knows Paul. And everybody knows Jesus. And it changes the whole story. You've got the full gospel message in this story. We know Jesus. Jesus knows the Father. Jesus says there is no way to the Father except through me. If Anisimus had gone to, to Philemon by himself, righteous judgment would have cut him down. But instead he goes with Paul's blessing. Paul's letter, and just as we go to the Father with Jesus, that makes all the difference. And so as we consider that Anisimus has been changed, we too need to be changed. You see, the reason Paul writes this letter on Anisimus' behalf, I'm sure, is in part due to the change that he has seen in his life. He's not just saying to Philemon, have this guy back. It's the Christian thing to do. Sometimes people talk about Christians as though we're meant to be a pushover. Have you met God? Does God strike you as a pushover? Have you met Jesus? Does Jesus seem like a pushover? Do you think that Jesus was nailed to the cross because Jesus couldn't fight back? Do you think Jesus was nailed to the cross because he didn't have any phone coverage to call for heaven's armies? You think Jesus was a pushover, the same guy that whipped people out of the temple? I mean, let's, let's not turn Jesus into this meek, mild, sweet little Jewish man who's a bit of a pushover. That isn't Jesus that I know. This is the Son of God. This is God made flesh. This is God who can call down heaven's armies in an instant. Choosing to make himself meek and mild like a lamb to the slaughter in our place. And so Anisimus humbles himself and does what Anisimus needs to do to walk in righteousness. And he takes a trip. And the letter ends before we find out how that trip went. I'm pretty confident of the outcome. And that's why you need to read this letter. It's an amazing snapshot into this beautiful story that's going to paint this incredible picture. And it is just layer upon layer of encouragement. And I think the whole Bible is an encouragement to us. It's a collection of beautiful stories. You see, sometimes people say, I'm so glad that the Bible is a collection of stories rather than a systematic theology. And what they mean by that is, I'm so glad that God gave me a children's storybook to instruct me in how to live my life by dwelling in his presence, by meditating on his word, by letting the Holy Spirit fill my heart that I would be changed into the likeness of Christ by meditating on the word of God, spending time in the presence of Jesus, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That same change you see in Onesimus, you can see in your life today, 
tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and the next day. And it's really simple. You just need to pick up your Bibles and spend time in the Word of God with the Lord. And so I think encouragement, encouragement is a word to our church in season. Perhaps you need some encouragement. Perhaps the last 18 months have been really hard. We've all heard the analogy that it's not that we're all in the same boat in the same storm, but lots of different boats in the same storm, all having a different experience of this. You know, I did the first year of lockdown pretty much by myself before I got married, and that was tough. I got married. That was tough in a different way. It was a blessing in a different way, but it was tough in a different way. We have all had different experiences of the last year and a half. Perhaps the last year and a half is fading away for you and there's some bigger new problem that is coming to the fore. Something that is really impacting your life. Perhaps it's even something as simple as feeling scared to come to church and feeling like we're ramping up the pressure. Let me say, we want to encourage you. Proximity is one of the best ways we know how to encourage one another. Proximity is one of the best ways we know how to encourage one another. Proximity with Christ, that's what it means to be a Jesus follower. Making yourself close to Jesus daily. And what it looks like to belong to our church is to make yourself close to one another. And sometimes you're going to find someone who irritates you. Sometimes you're going to find someone who annoys you. And sometimes you might talk to someone who's other than the pastor and that will be a blessing to you as well. You see, this passage is an encouragement to us because the whole gospel message is on display for us. And Anismus is building his life on the foundation, on the cornerstone of Jesus. You know, I don't think he went straight into this biggest challenge of his life the first week he got saved. I think he clearly built up to it because he was with Paul for a while. Paul was blessed by him and they had a close, special relationship. But Paul writes this letter as an encouragement to Philemon. And I wonder if he didn't write it as well as an encouragement to Onesimus. I can't imagine he sealed this letter up and sent it before Onesimus got to see it. But you see, we've got to have the courage of our conviction. Just as Onesimus did, we need the courage of our convictions. Just as Paul did, we need to have the courage of our convictions. And just as Paul says of Philemon, we need to have the courage of our convictions. People need to know about us that we have the courage of our convictions, even at a great distance. Can I just talk to you about encouragement for just two more minutes and I'm closing here. But I want to broaden this out because I think actually encouragement is in every part of the Bible. I've picked this story because this is the one that was on my heart as I was preparing this message for you. I think it's a wonderful encouragement because it encompasses the whole gospel message, the whole story of salvation, the whole process of discipleship, the whole reason for the hope we have in Jesus is wrapped up and condensed into this one story. 
And you can read an entire book of the Bible, and I think that's such a blessing. But this theme of encouragement goes through every part of the Bible. Different parts of the church think differently about the word encouragement. Some parts of the church want to encourage you that you are a sinner saved by grace and they want to really preach that message strongly. Other parts of the church might even say something as as wild as you're a son and daughter of God and so that makes you a prince or princess in the kingdom of God and I think it's all true. (laughs) God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he's adopting you into his royal holy family. But I think the most amazing thing about God is he doesn't leave us as sinners saved by grace. He adopts us into his family. And so while we were once sinners estranged from God, caught up in the things we were doing wrong, we are now the people of God, living out God's perfect plan and promise in our lives. And I think that's amazing. And I think we don't ever want to lose sight of the cross of Christ. We want to keep coming back to the cross because it's an encouragement to us. One of the worst things that has ever happened in all of time and history, King Jesus dying on a cross, is the most amazing encouragement to us. And you know, that's why people still go around wearing crosses today. I mean, what an odd thing to wear on one hand. This symbol of torture this brutal way to see a person die. But when you see the true significance of the cross, the empty cross, you see the cross of Christ as the pinnacle of the whole story of God. That we are coming into relationship with our Heavenly Father, being made right, holy, pure and blameless in His sight. And that's an amazing thing. The fact that we can ask God for help. And in an instant, his heart is toward as his children. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, look, let me give you some more encouragement. That in, the word encouragement is throughout the Bible. I think encouragement is the theme, but not the word. Psalm 23 talks about how the Lord leads us, guides us, leads us into good places. Even before our enemies, his provision is perfect for us. The book of Acts has some great verses. You know, all those verses that used to get turned into fridge magnets, aren't they just the most encouraging parts of the Bible? I think we need to know the stories around them, not just the fridge magnet version. But I still remember as a kid in Children's Connect learning all sorts of encouraging Bible verses. You know, for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 2 verse 21. Psalm 23. He makes me lie beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans you have for me. You know, there are these amazing Bible verses that we all know that we can parrot off so easily, so readily. The Bible is just full, absolutely full of encouragement. And let me just tell you one last thing. In fact, if you've heard nothing else and you're thinking, well, you know, he clearly likes the book of Philemon and uh, maybe I'll read it later, but I tuned out about 10 minutes in and he seems to still be talking. 
if you hear nothing else, if you hear one thing this morning, if you hear one thing this morning, hear this. When you are at your absolute worst, when you are at your absolute worst, Jesus loved you. If you've not hit rock bottom in your life ever, if you've never had a bad day, if the worst thing you ever do in life happens to be this year and God loves you anyway, God loves you. God is for you. And his plans are for your good. The best is yet to come is not something we just keep saying. It's the promise of heaven. It's the promise of an eternity spent with God. And you see this theme of encouragement. This theme of encouragement is the Jesus word. I'm shocked how the enemy manages to come into our lives and what God meant as conviction, he twists and lies and makes it feel like condemnation. If there is any area of your life where you feel condemned, where you think, you don't know how bad I am. I'm sure Anisimus felt that way. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know. But as he encountered Jesus, as he encountered Paul, a friend of God, pointing him back to Jesus, he found that his life was transformed. And that's what Jesus is offering you. More than a good story. More than a set of rules. But the grace and peace and freedom of Christ in your life. And Jesus' encouragement on how to get there. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Can I pray for us? I just want to pray a word of encouragement over us. And then I think we're going to sing a song. And um, Yeah. Yeah, Father God, I thank you that your heart is to encourage us. I thank you for all of the promises in your word, promises that are so full of hope. Father, we thank you that the best is yet to come. Father, we thank you that you are calling us home. You're calling us into relationship with you. You're calling us to hope to full lives, abundant lives, full of the grace and peace and joy of the Lord. And Father, while we've still got some stuff to work out, we thank you that you call us your sons and daughters from the moment we give our lives to you and every moment besides. Father, that from that point onwards, we belong to you and you belong to us. And so as we pray together now, Father, as we consider your leading in our lives, your encouragement deep within our hearts, when we think about the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, when we remember that all of your promises are for our good and for your glory. Father, we thank you that even the worst things are but a moment passing compared to eternity spent with you. Father, we bless and praise your name. Help us to be encouraged as we spend time in your presence. 
Help us to be encouraged as we encourage one another. Help us to find somebody to encourage this week. Help us to encourage one another back into church. Help us to remember that encouragement, not condemnation, conviction and hope in glory is your perspective on our lives. Amen.